What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. It's your host, Chris, and today I am so, so, so happy and so excited for this guest. And I'm so glad that you all get to hear her knowledge, her wisdom, because it is none other than Maria Konnikova. So check it out. I've always been a psychology nerd. Uh, psychology is something like my family's into, like my mom's a psychologist. She's a professor. Uh, I've just naturally been drawn to it. So when I started reading books, I wanted to understand things. Like I wanted to understand, like, how do people get like, you know, scammed and fall for just weird things and all that. The very first book I picked up from Maria Konnikova was The Confidence Game. And that's the book that we're going to be talking about today. All right. She has written multiple books. She also has some Audible exclusives. Like if you're somebody who struggles with migraines, go check out her uh, audio book that she came out with, I think, within the last year. It might have even been a few months ago. But anyways, go check that out. But yeah, ton of books. She's often... Uh, brought on to like documentaries as an expert to talk about different things. She has another book called The Biggest Bluff, where she basically went on a mission to be like, hey, I want to be, you know, try to be a professional poker player and, you know, see what I can learn about myself and, you know, using psychology and all these other things. It's a phenomenal book. And maybe I'm just a fan because I'm from here in Las Vegas. But anyways, today we are talking about the confidence game, because if you're like me, you have been uh, really interested in the recent like docu-series and movies about the people who get conned, right? There is the Tinder swindler. There is Inventing Anna. There have been the multiple series on like, how do investors, you know, get swindled? Like uh, the one about Theranos. Uh, there's a new one about WeWork, all these things. And anyways, I'm glad Maria came on because I I can be a bit of a victim blamer. And if any of you read my writing or, you know, you follow me, uh, you know, like something I say is like, if my son like fell for something like really, really bad, right? Like if he got, you know, like scammed out of a ton of money, got scammed by like a psychic, if he ended up joining a cult, I'm like, I did something wrong, but I'm glad Maria came on because she balances me out, right? <laughs> she helps remind me that no, the con artists are the bad people and who we should be looking at. So uh, yeah, we have an amazing, amazing conversation, but but, you know, one of the important questions I asked her is like, you know, I am naturally skeptical, right? Like we, we, we default to trust, um, but I'm somebody who's skeptical at first, right? I'm like, you have to prove to me what you're saying is true rather than I believe you and I need to see otherwise to not believe you. So um, yeah, Maria and I, we dive a little bit into my childhood and my psyche. She doesn't diagnose me or anything, but I talk a little bit about my therapy and, you know, what I've learned about myself and why these things might be. But anyways, if you're somebody interested and just want to understand why people get conned and hopefully so you can build up your defenses like i hope you enjoy this episode which i know you will but please 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 for the love of god get her book the confidence game i reread it it's phenomenal so head down to the description grab a copy of the confidence game make sure you follow maria over on twitter as well she's always working on new projects i believe she's working on another book right now so yeah i'm super glad you guys get to hear this but before we get started if you're not yet make sure you're following me over on instagram and twitter at the rewired soul that's linked down in the description below if you're new to the podcast make sure you're subscribed i read an insane amount of nonfiction books and i love having authors come on and i was kind of in a funk and didn't know i'm like oh man i don't feel like booking guests and stuff but something like got ignited in me and now i'm just overloaded i have so many amazing authors who are lined up and yeah so make sure you're subscribed to the podcast follow me on instagram and twitter so you don't miss any updates any new episodes and stuff like that but anyways anyways without further ado here's my conversation with the amazing maria konnikova about her book the confidence game All right. Hello, Maria. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I've been a huge, huge fan of your books, and you have so many. And I might need to have you come back sometime and teach my Vegas self how to play poker. But today, we're going to focus on the confidence game. So for everybody out there who has yet to read this phenomenal book, I just reread it again. Can you give us a little bit of what inspired you to write the confidence game? Sure. Um, so I'm going to give you the honest story, which is not 
um, what, you know, what, what some people might want to hear, which is that I was watching a movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and this is honestly, this is how most of my ideas come. They just come from experiences from what I'm doing, like from random moments, not like some concerted, okay, what am I going to do next? Yeah. So I was, uh, you know, it was late one Friday night, Saturday night, uh, weekend night. And I was watching um, House of Games, which mm. is a David Mamet film. And not sure if you've seen it, um, but mm. David Mamet is obsessed with con artists and has a lot of movies that were inspired by con artists. You know, that's why Ricky Jay is in so many of his movies, too, because mm. they share that obsession. Um, and this movie is about a woman um, who is a psychologist. She has a PhD. She's written a best-selling book. Um, and she's actually, unlike me, who's an experimental psychologist by training, she's mm -hmm. a clinical psychologist. So she actually sees patients. So she's someone who you'd really expect to be immune or as immune as one can be to falling for con artists, right? Yeah. Someone who understands the human mind. And she becomes embroiled with this group of con artists. Um, and she thinks she's in on it. She thinks she's in on the con. Um, and that won't ruin it for um, people who haven't seen the movie. You should watch it. It's phenomenal. Um, but suffice it to say, like most mammoth con movies, this does not end well. Um, yeah. And it turns out, you know, she she ends up being a victim. Um, and I remember watching that movie and at the end of it, just thinking, huh, you know, that is not your typical victim. Right. Mm -hmm. Normally, when you see portrayals of victims of con artists, you see you know, someone who's greedy or gullible or, you know, not that intelligent. We have all these stereotypes mm -hmm. um, of, of what a con artist's victims are, not someone who has a Ph.D. and who yeah. should really know better. And so I thought this is really, mm -hmm. really interesting. And I started kind of researching about it a little bit, wondering, like, how does that happen? Does that happen in real life? Because obviously this is fiction. Mm -hmm. um, and. I started going down this rabbit hole and I realized no one had ever written about it. There are tons mm. of stories of con artists, but nobody ever wrote about the psychology of why people get conned, why people fall for it, and how it is that incredibly intelligent, skeptical, knowledgeable people can be victims. Um, yeah. And so I thought, wow, I need to write about this um, because I think it's so important. And that was yeah. the birth of the confidence game. Yeah, and it, it's it's interesting too because it, it's a topic that I'm kind of uh, obsessed with as well, like the psychology of it all. And it's actually the first book of yours I read. I think I read it even after, uh, you know, the biggest bluff was out, like which everybody was talking about. I'm like, I I was just I've always been curious. I'm like, who falls for these things? Why? Mm -hmm. Right? And all this other stuff. And something I've been thinking a lot about a lot, lot, lot about. And I, I, I feel like this isn't covered enough. It's like, I like, so there's truth default theory, right? Like our default is to trust people. It'd be way too cognitively taxing yeah. to be like looking around everywhere. But I'm like, well, is something wrong with me? Because my instinct is skepticism. Like I come from a place of you need to show me, you need to prove to me, I don't trust. So whenever I'm reading stories about people getting conned or, uh, you know, more currently there's uh, like uh, COVID misinformation and all these other things and certain like figureheads and all this other stuff. And I'm sitting here like, I don't trust anybody. When everybody, and whenever somebody says something, I'm like, I need to go and look into this stuff. So is this anything that you've come across? Like, are there like, have you come across anybody that's like just more prone to, I don't know, having defenses against this because they're less trusting or more skeptical or? Oh, sure. Absolutely. So yeah, um, as you said, and I do think it's important to say that human beings, the default is trust. And I'm guessing your default was trust too at one point in your life, yeah. um, because that's how we experience the world. You know, that's how kids learn. You need to just, if you think about perception, right, how we, how we take in and establish reality, you have to assume that it's true before you can disprove it, right? You learn through your senses, through seeing, through touching, through tasting, through hearing, and your brain has to process it as existing first. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to ideas, when it comes to those types of things, we also have this inbuilt bias where everything is first assumed to be true 
And only then do we qualify and to and think, okay, is this actually true? So that's true of everyone. That's just mm. how people experience the world, including you. However, I think some people, um, based on experience, um, based on, you know, it could be something that happened to you very early in life, something that happened to you later in life, not trying to psychoanalyze you, but just because of the way that you've interacted with the world, you've learned that trust can actually backfire um, yeah. and that you need to be far less trusting. Um, and yeah. you've built up kind of that that defense mechanism. And the sad thing is, despite that, you can still be caught, right? Yeah. Some of the <laughs> most skeptical people who don't trust, once they do trust, they trust hard. Um, yeah. And if you can figure out a way to get through to those people, they are sometimes the basically they're your they're your ideal victim for, yeah. for a con because once they're on your side, they're on your side. Um, because yeah. they think of themselves as skeptical. They think of themselves as not trusting. And so they think, mm -hmm. well, if I've done my homework, if I've vetted this, if I've actually come to think that this is a real true thing, then it must be. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and so that then becomes they become your best ally as a con artist. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and as, as you know, from a, a different conversation, I'm very open and transparent and honest. And like, as you're talking, and you don't, I don't need you to psychoanalyze me because I have a therapist who has done all that. And, you know, <laughs> so like I had an alcoholic mom and there was a lot of broken promises and everything. So now I'm sitting there, I'm like, hey, yeah, you know, that's probably why I'm, I'm skeptical. And- Well, if you, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I didn't want to interrupt you. No, no, finish. Oh, no, no, and then sometimes- I'll when I'm reading these books and thinking about that, I'm like, you know, as awful as my childhood was and, you know, I'm doing great now and everything, but I'm like, okay, maybe there was a benefit to this because it's given me kind of this defense system, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so what I was going to say is, um, so when I was in grad school, my advisor was Walter Michelle, who people know as the marshmallow guy, right? The, yeah. the person who thought of the marshmallow studies. Um, and I'm sure that your listeners know the marshmallow studies, but just in case, <laughs> you know, it's the little kids and you put a marshmallow in front of them and you ask them to wait until the experimenter comes back. And if they can wait, they can have more treats. And if they can't and eat it, that's it. That's all they're going to get. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's this delay of gratification. Um, and few people know that when this was originally done, um, so at the time, Walter was married to his first wife, who was an anthropologist, and they were doing joint island population. Um, and when he got there, there was this, he realized there was these stereotypes that you know, one, some of the islanders thought of the other islanders as you know, untrustworthy and impulsive, basically the, you know, the ant and the grasshopper and the others yeah. thought of the, of them as, you know, the the ants that they were too too industrious, blah blah blah. And so Walter created the the prototype um, marshmallow experiment to try to see if there was any truth in that. The experiment failed completely because what he realized was that it wasn't in that particular um, population. What he realized was it wasn't testing for self control. He was testing for stability of household because it turned out uh. that the kids who had an absent father would take the treats because they did not believe that a man would come back. There was yeah. no trust there. They said, well, I'm going to take whatever you're giving me now, because how in the world do I know mm. that you're going to be back? I don't trust that. And so it was not impulsiveness. It wasn't lack of self-control. It was a very adaptive response to the fact that they came mm. from a place of no trust because they'd been shown from their earliest age that they couldn't trust adults that they couldn't trust yeah. promises, that they couldn't trust in that longer time horizon, which is really revelatory and also very important. And I'm, you know, I'm sad that that's not a better known part of the origin of the marshmallow studies, why yeah. they spent so long establishing trust because yeah. they wanted to make sure that they, that they controlled for that because they realized how important that was and that you couldn't conflate the two. And yeah. so I think in your case, you probably had a similar experience where you know, you, rather than seeing adults as someone who can help you through the world and show you things, they became, you know, how do I know you're going that this is actually going to happen? I need to yeah. verify.
Yeah, you you went through not instead of trust but verify. You're verify first, and only yeah. then <laughs> only well, then believe it. You know, even that, I, you know, recently I had like David Robson on to talk about his new book too. And, and I think about these social issues, which he touches on as well, but these, the, the trust, the scarcity, right? Mm -hmm. Like we uh, look at overweight people in impoverished communities, right? They're mm -hmm. going to eat what they have because they don't know. Absolutely. They're gonna have food. And, and their and genes stability. are going to be like that, right? That's mm -hmm. why you have the epigenetic changes that one of the most famous epigenetic studies happened um, with women who were pregnant in wartime and their children were mm. prone to gaining weight because their genes learned that you're not going to get enough food. And so they learned to store, to extract calories much more efficiently. So these yeah. kids were born prone to obesity yeah. um, because they, their mothers had been exposed to such a traumatic environment. So this is, it's a powerful thing and it's yeah. very adaptive and there's mm -hmm. nothing you can do about it as you know, on a human level, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's just kind of built in. That's just kind of in, encoded. And we do need to realize that not every human body is created equal because our bodies respond to our circumstances. There's a huge connection between the two and our bodies are constantly changing and responding depending on what they're subjected to in our minds are, are the same. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think there's a good transition uh, to what I really wanted to have you on for. And I shot you an email. I'm like, hey, just to prep mm -hmm. you, here's what I want yeah. to talk about. So, uh, so, so, yeah. Have uh, Have you by chance watched the Tinder the Tinder Swindler no, documentary yet? Okay, I have one. not. Um, I actually have no interest in watching it because I've spent so much time with con artists and and you're done with it and with <laughs> and in you know i've i've worked on so many con artist documentaries i've been in a number of them yeah. um that at this point i'm actually just frustrated by the continued titillation that people experience um with con artists and mm. the lack of empathy for their victims yeah so that's um, what i need that's why i need you to help me maria so so for example, just as a father, right? And obviously my son is very fortunate that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, out of my addiction now and he didn't grow up enough, you know, but one of the first lessons, here's a little backstory. One of the first lessons I taught him was, if it sounds too good to be true, it, it probably is because he's been a gamer like me his whole life. And, you know, he watches YouTube and there's, there's people on YouTube who are like, oh, get like a thousand in-game dollars, like V-Bucks and Fortnite or in this game and this game, right? And he would come to me, ask for my email address or card and stuff. So I would explain the world to him. Like, hey, if it sounds too good to be true, taught him a few things, like read the comments, see if people say this is legitimate mm -hmm. or if it's a scam, even that you can't trust. So I'm kind of building this foundation for him. But mm -hmm. anyways, I, I, I watch a lot of these things and I don't know if it's kind of like the reason people watch like serial killer documentaries to kind of defend ourselves. Like, okay, how did this happen? What's going on? So it doesn't happen to me, but uh i i have trouble i have trouble because i'm like man i i almost guarantee that people who do get conned like in many cases it might be something like from their past like in this particular documentary it's jumping into a relationship too quickly so as somebody who's like big on mental health i'm like okay does do some of these people have like attachment issues where they want to grasp onto that love as soon as they see it and i empathize with that right but I guess the question is, right? Like how much, how much responsibility do we have in this? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. And I, you know, I actually get frustrated um, at how often that question is asked because we don't ask like a victim of rape, how much responsibility, mm. or actually we do when we're trying to victim shame and say, well, mm -hmm. you know, you shouldn't have dressed like that. You shouldn't have gone to that party. You shouldn't have had that much to drink. My daughter would know better. That is absolute bullshit and that should not yeah. be your response. Your response should be, this is a terrible thing that happened to you. Yeah. And with con artists, we victim blame. It's actually one of the crimes where we victim blame the most, where, mm -hmm. where we say, you know, how could you be so stupid? How could you have not done your homework? How could you have put yourself in this situation? Why didn't you verify this? Why didn't you do that? We have all of these things that the victim should have done and we blame them. We say you're mm -hmm. complicit in being conned. And yes, Every victim is complicit in their conning to some extent because they be they believed, right? Yeah. And it's a choice to believe. And yet, it's I think it's completely misguided 
to think of it that way because the con artists are the bad guys. They're the ones taking advantage of an innate human mechanism, which Mm -hmm. is actually what makes us human and which is the most wonderful thing about humanity, which is our ability to trust, to hope, to forge relationships, to Mm -hmm. kind of believe. That is something that's so human and the reason why the world works. And someone takes advantage of that and you say, well, weren't you complicit in that? Well, sure. Yeah. You know, because I believed them. So I'm the bad guy now. Right. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that it's a, it's, a, it's a misguided victim shaming impulse. And if you even think of the way that our language looks at victims, first of all, they're called marks, which mm. is dehumanizing completely. And then think about the way that, you know, all these sayings we have, you can't fool an honest man bullshit honest men are actually the easiest because if you're not someone who's capable of deceiving others you're not going to see it in someone else you're going to believe the best in people you know oh you know it's all about greed no a lot of these cons like you know what is sometimes you're the victim is actually not gaining anything at all financially they're giving money and more money and more money because they believe in true love they believe in this they believe in that mm-hmm. to come back to what you're teaching your son i'm very glad you keep teaching him that if it seems too good to be true it is and that's what i always tell people as well however here's the thing when we look at other people it's very easy to objectively judge this and say yeah. of course if it seems too good to be true it is how could you be so dumb when it's happening to you You don't look and say, oh, this is too good to be true. You say, I deserve this. I've worked hard for this. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, this is my chance at true love. I've, you know, I've been in enough shitty relationships that, you know, Mm -hmm. now I I finally deserve someone who understands me and who loves me. I've, you know, done so much research about the stock market that, you know, of course I pick the person who's going to invest my money really well and give me great returns. I don't think, look at him and think, oh, this person's returns are kind of crazy. I say, I did a good job. I picked a really good advisor who's going to take good care of my money because I'm smart and I know what I'm doing. So it's really, really difficult when things are happening to you, especially things you like to say it's too good to be true. We're skeptical. It's easy to be skeptical when something that you don't agree with or something bad is happening. It's really, really difficult when things are good, especially when you're emotionally involved, especially when it's someone who has built up trust with you for a long time. A lot of con artists operate over a long time horizon. There was one who I came across when I was researching the confidence game who befriended a group of war widows, um, widows of Iraq, um, and she pretended to be one of them. And she made friendships with them over over a year. I think it might have been over multiple years. And then she took all of their savings all of them yeah. by telling them individually this sob story. Were those women complicit? Should they have done a background check and figured out? I mean, what a what a question to ask, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, as <laughs> I as I was rereading the book, like I was sitting, I was sitting there because yeah, there's like, you know, the 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 attribution bias, right? Like, oh, like here's me and the, you know, you're different and all this other stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, especially like those those long ones, right? And you know, you discuss like one of the reasons I love the book is because you talk about all these different biases and, you know, our overconfidence and ourselves and our intelligence and, oh, this would never happen to me. And I do, I do find it interesting because you'll see somebody making fun of someone who got conned by like, uh, you know, uh, a psychic, but meanwhile, they're getting conned with their money management, like, you know, giving it to a financial advisor who says that they can get the highest returns. Like when I, like, I only recently got into investing. And the first thing I noticed watching the experts is that they're never wrong. You know, they always have an explanation. (laughs) I'm like, come on. But, but I, I guess, uh, you know, because I, I, I feel and correct me if I'm wrong, like one of the goals of your book seems like it's to help people defend against this. And I'm wondering, like, um, because especially during the last two years of COVID, it seems like a lot of people have way too much confidence in their, I, 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 like how certain they are about things. You know what I mean? So it feels like we need this intellectual humility in order to avoid getting conned, you know? so. How big, how big of an aspect of defending against cons is just that kind of humility, like, hey, maybe this could happen to me, or maybe 
I'm not looking at this yeah. in the right way, you know? I mean, I think that's huge. I think intellectual humility is huge. And also, and this I think goes hand in hand with intellectual humility, a willingness to change your mind, mm. to admit that you were wrong, to look stupid, to say, I don't know. Because a lot of times people end up getting conned because they don't know how to walk away. They don't know how to admit they're wrong. And so they double down. They don't know how to say, I don't know. They want to appear to kind of know more than they do. Um, they don't want to be judged. They don't want to look stupid. It's one of the reasons why I also um, say that there are no good numbers about victims of con artists yeah. because a lot of people are too embarrassed and never come forward and never mm -hmm. actually kind of acknowledge that um, never want the world to know. And others never even acknowledge it to themselves. So mm -hmm. others refuse to admit that they've been conned. You know, there's a story um, that I, I think I briefly mentioned in the book about um, these two, you know, legends uh, of the con who um, basically invented the, the wire fraud, <laughs> you know, they, yeah. the, the wire scam where, you know, you said, oh, you know, we have an in. The telegraph who can get you the racing results a few you know seconds earlier blah 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 um the gondolf brothers so they um scammed this guy took him for a lot of money um and then a few years later um they saw him in florida walking down the street and he saw them and he started walking towards them and they started running away thinking like oh shit like he wants to yeah. catch us and report us to the police um and he finally caught them he ran after them like and he said, oh my God, I'm so glad to see you guys again because, you know, I realized how unlucky we got last time, but, you know, your the scheme seemed so, you know, solid. Let's do it again. Like, let's try again. Yeah. Um, and they were only obviously too happy to oblige, but that's so common that yeah. you deceive yourself to the point where you don't even realize you were conned. You just yeah. think, oh, I, I just got unlucky. It was a bad break. Yeah. Um, and you will defend the con artist. And so for those two reasons, you know, cons are severely underreported. But that also shows a lot of these intellectual hoops that we go through um, that make us susceptible and that make it difficult, you know, to get someone out of the clutches yeah. of a con. Which is why, you know, along with intellectual humility, I'm saying be willing to admit you're wrong. Be willing to change your mind. Be willing to be vulnerable. Um, all of those things, I think, are very helpful. Yeah. So, so that, that brings me to one of my favorite topics. And I, I tell everybody this, like I'm regularly reading books on just self-deception. I think mm -hmm. it's just one of the most interesting topics, how we, we basically evolved to lie to ourselves, right? We're mm -hmm. smarter than we are, uh, than we really are. You know, we, we were just always doing the right thing. And, you know, when we're certain about something, that's what it is. Makes it really hard to change beliefs. And you talk about in the book, like cognitive dissonance and all these things. So. You know, I'm always curious because there's things that have helped me uh, with my own self-deception to an extent, like I know I'm doing it all the time. And sometimes we need it to get some confidence to apply for a job or to reach out to a guest sure, like sure. yourself. You know, we got to say, hey, this is going to work. But anyways, um, like mindfulness and meditation and slowing down has really helped me like, you know, recognize when I might be self-deceiving or lying to myself. Mm -hmm. But what what are some tips and tools like what do you do uh for example you are a phenomenal poker player right how do you avoid like lie like not lying to yourself and facing the reality of situations of what's going on so so these bad you don't start going down the bad path you know what i mean yeah well i mean i think that you know paying attention is is a good place to start, um, which is something I talk about in The Biggest Bluff, but also in my prior book, um, the one even before Confidence Game Mastermind, um, mm -hmm. you know, which is all about mindfulness um, mm -hmm. and presence and awareness. So I think that that's great. And I do think that that's very helpful. Um, and then I think the, the other element that can help is to have as much objective data as possible to check yourself, right? So in the mm. case of poker, um, it's actually very good discipline to write down when you're playing live, which is what I mostly do. I mean, when you're playing online to keep track of your hand, mm -hmm. they can do that for you and live to keep track of your hands and to see, you know, what decisions you made and kind of how you got your money in 
are you, so there was, a, I'll give you an example. Um, a few summers ago, I've lost track of time. So pre-COVID, <laughs> there was, a, there was you know, this period of time where I actually went through a pretty lengthy, I mean, I can't, actually, I won't say pretty lengthy because some people go through year, multi-year losing streaks, but I went through a period of time where I was losing a lot of money. Um, and so I just said, wait, I need to slow down and figure out, you know, have I stopped studying? Have I stopped working hard? Am I like, am I losing because the game has somehow passed me by or I'm playing at the wrong level? You know, maybe I'm playing clients that are too high for me and I can't compete. Um, or am I on the wrong side of variance, right? Am I making the right decisions, but am I getting unlucky? And so I started, you know, tracking the results of every hand and figuring out, okay, like I got my money in as a 75% favorite 10 times and I ended up losing nine of those times. Okay. I'm not running well right now. Um, you know, I keep getting my money in as a favorite and I keep being on that 25%, you know, side of the distribution. And that was, that's kind of, that's the way that you then figure it out. It could have been the other way around. It could have been that actually, you know, I'm just making really shit decisions. Um, And in which case I need to kind of work hard and I can't say it's just variance. Oh, I'm just, you know, on a bad streak. It's really important not to just say something like that, but to actually have the data to back it up. Mm. And I think that's true in real life as well. In poker, it's easy because you can get the data. Right. You know what the odds are. You know what the percentages are. You can track every hand that went to showdown. You can actually objectively look at your results and analyze where you're making mistakes and where you have leaks and whether you're getting unlucky or whether you're actually running really well, you know, yeah. and you're you're running above expectation and you're, you know, you can you can do that sort of analysis. In real life, it can be harder. But I also encourage people, you know, one of the things I tell people to do is to keep for important decisions to keep in the moment kind of decision diaries to before you make a decision, figure out, you know, what are the important factors here? Um, Mm -hmm. What am I going to look at? What do I think about all of these things? How confident am I of these different things? You know, what am I, what's the prioritization? Like, what do I think is the most important, you know, second most, et cetera, et cetera, to write all of this down before you make the decision, then to make a decision based on that. Mm. And then, you know, see how the decision goes and then revisit and you have yeah. an objective assessment of what you were thinking because otherwise you have hindsight bias and you're like oh well i knew that was going to happen or yeah. oh like blah 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 and it's usually it's like bullshit you had no idea you just completely ignored that you know yeah. um so that is one of the ways you can keep yourself honest and the other way that doesn't involve as much work but involves uh some trust is you know actually having someone you know, going back again to mastermind my first book, having a Dr. Watson to your Sherlock Holmes, yeah. having someone who challenges you and who can tell you when you're being overconfident and who you actually listen to and someone you can mm. talk through your decision processes with. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I, I, I Just one of the recent chapters I finished up uh, when reading your book, it, it brought up like that creeping determinism and everything mm-hmm. too and the hindsight bias. And, and yeah, one of the things that have helped me out a lot is just, reflecting and saying hey mm-hmm. what what went well even my in my lower tier poker playing it's not looking back and saying what went wrong but even like just in life like what could i have done better uh when i first started this podcast for example reaching out to a bunch of authors and trying to see you know what could have been done better did, was i was i trying to reach out to people above my status as a podcaster and stuff but um with uh with everything going on, I, I've been curious because it seems you touched on it a little bit, but you wrote this book a while back. Seems like there's like this new form of con artist or grifter, and I don't like slapping labels on them, but uh, there's nothing to gain like monetarily on on the face, right? So, for example, if we're talking about like the massive political polarization, or we're talking about the anti-vax uh people coming up right like they're not directly asking anybody for money right or you have like very polarizing figures on twitter where they'll say something and and i'm always looking at them i'm like do you truly believe what you're saying or are you doing this to play into the tribalism 
So it, it's like, it's like it's this con, but you're not like asking for money. So there's this real like plausible deniability, like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not conning or grifting. Look, well, I'm not making any money off this, but yeah. on the back end, when you have hundreds of thousands of followers, you get speaking engagements, you get, you know what I mean? So it's sure, like sure, this like sure. sideways thing. So what have you noticed in that kind of Yeah. Speech? Okay. So, so I think this is an important question. And first of all, it's not new at all. Um, mm. And I actually don't think that there are any new cons under the sun. They've all been done. Okay, really? and okay. Yeah. It's just technology changes, but yeah. the basic shape of the con remains the same. And I actually think that greed, financial greed and money are never the motivating factor. Okay. Um, and I think uh, that con artists, most of the time, um, actually could have made much more money in legitimate enterprises. And a mm. lot of them, even the ones who do ask for money, um, are perpetually broke because that's not the point. The point is power. The point is control. Yeah. It's greed for those types of things, for control over people's lives. It's playing God. It has yeah. nothing to do with financial gain. And I think that's always been true. And in the confidence game, I write about cults and I write about yeah. cult leaders and that's the ultimate con. And, you know, it, it's about this ability to control people's reality. You get to be their God, literally. Mm, yeah. um, and that's intoxicating and people become addicted to that. And that's why a lot of con artists, even when they're given the opportunity to go straight, they can't do it. They can't take it even when it's very lucrative. One of the people I talked about in, um, the confidence game that one of the main characters, Ferdinand Waldo Damara, the great imposter, um, he was given so many opportunities yeah. to go straight. I mean, he became a celebrity. He was on Carson and, you know, all of these, all of the leading shows of the day, you know, Tony Curtis played him in a movie. Like this guy was, you know, he was on all of these shows and had all of this opportunity to make a real life and he just couldn't avoid it. He kept going back to the grift um, and he just, he couldn't not do it because mm -hmm. um, it wasn't that, oh, no one, you know, no one believes in me. It was, that became then his con. Oh, yeah. no one believes in me. Give me another chance. And then he'd screw the person who gave me, who gave him another chance. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that, that's actually what we're seeing right now is just that same thing playing out. Um, that it's about control. It's about influence. Um, yeah. It's not about money. Even someone like Bernie Madoff, let me tell you, like the amount of time and intellectual energy and just sheer everything that it took to keep that going. Yeah. The dude would have been better served just being a straight investor. Yeah. Right? He could have <laughs> he like just, you know, go work for go work for an investment bank, go work for a hedge fund. Like yeah. he, he, he could have made money without the, without the suicides and without yeah. that, that weight on him. So do you, do you think it's so like, uh, for the victims, do you think it's harder to spot that con? Because like, I, I sit back and I, I see these, these types of people, these people of influence and I'm looking at, I'm like, do people not realize like, they're just, just full force playing into your confirmation bias they're telling you everything no you want that's why it's no that's why it's confirmation bias when someone tells you what you already believe to be true mm -hmm. you're going to nod and say yep that's exactly right yeah. because con artists do not con artists are very smart they tell you what you already believe and every single there's no such thing as an objective human being <laughs> doesn't exist no right? i'm serious yeah every single person is biased. Every single human being, 100% of us see the world through our own subjective lens, through our experiences, through our emotions, through who we are. And you know what? Every robot does too, because they've been programmed by a human. Mm -hmm. And as we now see from all of the problems with AI and the algorithmic biases, that happens because that shit was programmed by people with biases, yeah. right? And they fed them biased data, even though they thought they weren't. And all of the biases that exist in the world get fed into this. There's no such thing as objectivity because there's kind of that lens that, that it goes through. And so the con artist's genius is to figure out what are your biases? How, how do you see the world? And then yeah. feed it back to you and you're going to say, yes, amen. Yeah. Amen, my brother. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, um, and right. that's why it's so scary. 
I, I, I got to ask you this one thing, because I, I, I just want everybody listening, and I wish I could just implant this into people's heads. So for one of my last, like, probably the last question I have is, let's talk about detecting liars, detecting mm -hmm. the con, right? So I got really fascinated with, like, deception detection, right? Like, I always found it so interesting, like, people like, I know this person's lying, or I know their intentions, and, you know, all these things, and just, like, how we show emotions, and people think they can catch a liar, and you talk about this in the book, right? You talk about how, I, I forgot which study it was, but they brought in, like, some of the top, like, other psychologists and stuff like that, and they were terrible at yeah. detecting lies, because we think that something like eye aversion, right, is like the key indicator. And as somebody who gets very anxious and socially anxious, like if a cop sits me down, I'm going to be looking and tapping and sweating. Yeah. And somebody might be like, that's a lie. But anyways, it's hard to detect deception. And again, for con audits, there's that plausible deniability because like yeah. you don't know my motives. You don't know my intentions. Right. But it doesn't help that we think that we can spawn a yeah. liar from a mile away. So can you, can you touch on that a little bit about yeah. why we think we're so good at this and what the reality is of that situation? Yeah. I mean, we think, you know, everyone, people are perfectly capable of admitting they're not good at something that, you know, they have little to do with. Right. So like most people think they're great drivers because, you know, they, drive all the time and they think they're great at it. Um, one yeah. of my favorite studies was um, done in a hospital, I believe in Denmark, um, somewhere somewhere there, um, Northern Europe, um, of people who'd gotten into car accidents that they had caused and all of them still ranked themselves, not all, but like over 70% of them ranked themselves as, ex as exceptional drivers, yeah. even in the hospital after they'd caused a car accident. For me, it's really easy to say I'm a shitty driver because I just learned how to drive. Up until six months ago, I didn't know how to drive, right? Really? I have zero. Yeah. I, I don't know how to, I still don't know how to drive. Um, yeah. So like for me, that's not something that, you know, I, I'm very, very happy to admit that I don't know that. Something like detecting lies, that's about being good at people. Aren't we all good at people? That's what we do all day, right? You interact, yeah. you see people. And so something that you just think, oh, I'm good at it. I can, I, I can tell, right? I can tell when someone is trying to pull a fast one on me. Um, and as, as you said, we can't, humans are really, really awful at detecting deception because we haven't evolved for it. Our yeah. brains are actually really, really bad at it because it's not, we're, we're bad at things that are not evolutionarily advantageous. And it's not advantageous to know when people are lying to you because society falls apart. If everyone knows <laughs> right. when everyone is lying, because we always are lying to each other, like social not lies, white lies, they are what holds society together. But yeah. if every single person could detect every single lie, you saw someone, you say, oh, you know, you know, it's great to see you. And you're like, oh my God, that person hates me. Yeah. Right. If you could see that, like everyone would be miserable. Social relationships wouldn't function. So we're actually really bad because it's good to be bad because society is built on trust yeah. and, and on people kind of being able to trust each other. Yeah. And so, and the majority of people, here's the other part of it. The majority of people aren't out to get you. The majority of people aren't con artists. They're not psychopaths who, you know, are doing this for their own gain. They're not people who are just out to meticulously take advantage. Most people are actually decent. Most people are telling <laughs> yeah. you the truth. Um, and so why, you know, what's the benefit in being able to tell if they're lying? And we can't. And I was able to spend some time when I was researching the confidence game with a woman who was in one of Paul Ekman's original studies. Um, so the TV show Lie to Me is yeah, based on these yeah. people, right? Where they can see the micro expressions. So she's one of them. She's a human lie detector. She's one of these people who can detect micro expressions with no training at just these insane rates. And while she can spot micro expressions normally, and she can actually sometimes be able to tell when someone's not telling the truth, she doesn't know motivation, right? She doesn't know what, what's behind it or when something is inconsistent. When she is placed with psychopaths or with you know, criminals who are good at it, she can't tell anything. There is no leakage there because yeah. the better the liar, there's no cognitive dissonance. There's no nothing. You're living your lie. 
And she said that it chills, it chilled her when she was actually asked to consult for the FBI and she looked at some of these people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the better, basically even the best human lie detectors fail when confronted with habitual liars. Um, and yeah. the con artists that we're dealing with are habitual liars. So yeah. just going back, let's bring it full circle to one of the things you started off with, with overconfidence, just realize that you're probably overconfident in your ability to read people, take a step back and exercise some intellectual humility. And maybe that'll help you avoid getting conned. <laughs> Absolutely. Maria, thank you so much. You're such a busy woman. I'm so glad you were able to come on. And for everybody listening, and I'm going to uh, really detail this in the outro and everything, but you, you have a brand new audio book about migraines that I loved and I wish we could talk about. You have another book coming out. So uh, for everybody listening, where's the best place to follow you and find out all of your new releases and stuff you're working on in the future and all that? Um, I'm pretty bad. Uh, those types of things, but Twitter or Instagram are probably the best places. Um, not Facebook. I'm never on Facebook. So Twitter or Instagram it is. And do yep. you have a you have a rough idea of when uh, the next book will be coming out so we can keep an eye out? No, unfortunately, not yet. All right, we'll be keeping an eye. But yeah, Maria, Thank thanks you. so much. We'll do this again. Thanks. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Maria. But you know what? You know what? I'm I'm willing to bet that you did enjoy it because <laughs> that was phenomenal. Maria is amazing and she's such a busy woman. So I'm so, so glad she was able to carve out some time. We've talked, we've talked for a while now, just here and there, um, you know, and I was like, Hey, by chance, please squeeze me in to come on. So I'm super, super glad. And yeah, I hope you all, you know, learned a ton. I really, really hope that it interests you in the book, you know, like Maria was saying, the con artists, right? Those are the bad people. They are the bad people, but you know, I'm on the opposite end and I think there's a balance. We do, we do need to put in some effort. Like we need to learn about our own biases and thinking errors and how we default to trust and all these other things. And, you know, like Maria and I talked about, and you got to learn a little bit more about, uh, about Chris and, you know, my childhood and being let down and learning that, you know, I can't trust people. Like, I don't want people to go through what I've been through, you know, in order to have some skepticism, you know, because like Maria says, it would be a terrible world if we all had to go around just not trusting anybody. So me being on the opposite end of the spectrum, I've had to learn to balance that out. And for a while it, it screwed up relationships because I couldn't trust anybody. I made people prove themselves to me. So now I'm more trusting, but I, I do question things. So I think I found a good balance, but it's something I'm constantly working on. And the way I work on it is by reading phenomenal books like this one from Maria, The Confidence Game. And she has, you know, her other book, Mastermind, about how to think like Sherlock Holmes. Really, really great book about decision making. Check out The Biggest Bluff. In fact, I'm going to link all of these books down in the description below and make sure you follow Maria because she's always working on new stuff and she's just an amazing, amazing writer. And I just, I love it. She's probably in my top five, maybe top three best psychology writers out there. She's able to take these complex topics, break it down and help you understand through like stories and just her way of writing and all that. So make sure you are following her and check out her books. All right. But anyways, anyways, few things uh, before I let you go. Uh, first, make sure you're following me on Instagram and Twitter at the rewired soul. Uh, mainly aside from like, just so you don't miss anything. I love chatting with all of you. You all send me book recommendations uh, recently, like uh some one of you from the audience has sent me a ton and i got like a lot of them <laughs> so i'm always looking for new books so i love chatting with all of you and seeing your thoughts and you know on just various topics going on in the world and stuff like that so follow me on instagram and twitter at the rewired soul all right and a couple things if you want to help out the podcast without spending a dime two things you could do one share this episode share this episode because i know I know for a fact without even knowing you that you have friends and family members who can benefit from this conversation. All right. So they can learn a little bit about how we get conned, how we get scammed, all that kind of stuff. So share this episode. It really helps out the podcast and you're helping other people because they learn about great books like the confidence game from Maria. All right. Second thing, do me a favor, leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, whether you love it, hate it, just be honest. Leave a rating and leave a review. Uh, I appreciate the feedback, but also 
sharing, leaving uh, a review, that stuff helps with the algorithms. It shows that people are interested and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it helps grow this lovely little community. Okay. But some other ways you can help support the podcast. First off, uh, some of you are listening to this episode a day early. If you would like to join that club uh, down in the description, head over to uh, the rewired soul.substack.com. If you become a paid subscriber, it's only five bucks a month or $50 for the year. Uh, you get episodes a day early and it helps support what I'm doing here. Other than that, you can head over to the rewired soul.com. I've written books about, you know, uh, mental health, addiction, recovery. I do have a book uh, kind of explaining how I became addicted to drugs and dealt with depression and anxiety and all that. So if you're interested in a little bit more of my backstory, I dive into a little bit in that. Uh, that book is called Hope. It's available at TheRewiredSoul.com. You can also find it on Amazon and stuff like that. Uh, and lastly, lastly, there is also an affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. Uh, this is a service that I personally use. It's helped me out a lot. So when I mentioned like to Maria, like, hey, some stuff I learned through therapy, it has been with my therapist from BetterHelp. So BetterHelp, it's affordable. It's online. You work with a licensed therapist. You can pick a therapist who specializes in certain things, whether it's depression, anxiety, trauma, just dealing with the craziness of everyday life. Uh, you can pick and the, the feature that I love the most is because I hate awkward conversations is that with a click of a button, you can find a new therapist. All right. So you don't got to break up with a therapist if you don't like them. Uh, like when I first started, I had an awful therapist, click the button, boom, found my wonderful new therapist. So if you're interested, check out that affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy, all right? So another huge, huge thanks to Maria. Like I said, she's super busy. So I really appreciate her coming on. Make sure you follow her. Grab one, two, three, four of her books. They're linked down in the description below. And yeah, for all of you, I, I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. And I should have a bonus episode for you this weekend. So stay tuned. All right. So thanks for checking in, listening to this episode, and I will see you next time.